everyone. Welcome to another edition of Odyssey House Journals. I'm Randall Carlisle, along with Rachel Santizo. I'm doing that because he has such a sexy voice that I just want to okay, fit in. Okay, you say I'm Rachel. I'm Rachel Santizo. Sounds better. Social media or something. Our guest today is Randy Burton, and we'll get into Randy's complete story. And first, we want to say hi to. I remember we talked about the cities that are watching us, so we want yeah. to say hi to Columbus, Ohio. Hello. Okay, we are one of the most watched. Uh, podcasts about uh, addiction and recovery anywhere. And then the other city that shocked me was Brussels, Belgium. So hello, Brussels. Hi, Brussels. I don't know what time of night or day it is over there. (laughs) So anyway, I I saw it. I try to start out with a news story or a little factoid or something. And we've heard by now that the CDC reported there were over 100,000 overdose deaths in the past year, Mm -hmm. uh, primarily because of fentanyl. And they broke down, so I'll play a little quiz here. You guys are both uh, in recovery from actively using heroin. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So that could have been laced with fentanyl. You you don't know. Definitely was. Okay. So of of the deaths, of the overdose deaths related to fentanyl, you could <clears throat> you can consume heroin by snorting, smoking, or injecting. Right. right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Of the overdose deaths attributed to fentanyl and heroin, what percentage would you guess is because of injection or the other methods of getting heroin into your system? So, so you're you're asking what percentages of over just overdoses from fentanyl in general or from in, heroin in, in heroin. Injecting um, heroin? Inject, well, if, if you took all those methods of getting heroin into mm-hmm. your system, what percentage would be injection? 65. Um, 40. Well, I can't remember who's closer because of math, but it's 57% were not injections. So they were the wow. other methods of getting heroin into your system. Really? And I, I would have just guessed that a whole, that I would have guessed closer to what Rachel said, that the majority yeah. were because of injection. And now it's because of the fentanyl. Yeah, but, but putting the fentanyl into yep. heroin, but still people were dying primarily from snorting it or smoking it as opposed wow. to injecting it. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. This is from the CDC, so I, I guess if you... Fentanyl is a dangerous dangerous substance oh and it's in everything now i mean it's oh yeah it's in marijuana it's in i i you know meth it's I, yep it's, they're they're doing counterfeit um oxycodone 30s and also xanax bars that have fentanyl pressed into mm-hmm. them so i've had two friends overdose in the last month thinking they were doing the oxycodone 30s and they were actually counterfeit pressed fentanyl yeah, and another interesting fact is when fentanyl came out to the streets, my first primary instinct was that I was mad that it wasn't out when I was using. Be- oh <laughs> because yeah, it's because powerful, like a absolutely, true absolutely. Yep. I was mad. I was like, where was it when I was on the streets? Because that's it's so powerful, right? And that's what you want to use because it's it is so powerful. Well, and to go along with that, uh, I arranged an interview with one of our uh, clients in recovery mm-hmm. uh, with Channel Four. And during the interview, and I had never even thought about this because we were talking about overdose deaths because of fentanyl. Mm -hmm. And he said, he said, we all wanted to know 
what, uh, which if we had a friend who had a severe overdose or died or something, we wanted to know where he got his stuff because we knew it'd be better. Absolutely. That's yep. their, your first instinct. That shows you the screwed up brain of an addict, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Enough of our factoid <laughs> stuff. You want to introduce our guest and how you oh, guys man. got to know each other? Oh, man. How lucky am I? And what about the timing? I love how the universe works when you continue to do, take the next, do the next right thing. But our guest today is Randy Burton and I, um, the triple R's today. You yeah, know, that, I, did, I just noticed that. Yeah, so I am. Um, well, what that's it, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Randall, Rachie, Rachel, and Randy. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm a lucky girl. <laughs> just my voice. But other than that, I'm a very lucky girl. But Randy, I met Randy in 2013. I, it was somewhere around there. Right. Because I was with um, Tara, right? So, yeah. Yes, It yeah. was about 2013 or 14. And I met him at an ugly sweater party. So it was Christmas time, and it was my very first ugly sweater party. And throughout my life, I had always wanted to be invited to one, and it wasn't until I got sober. And so that was my first introduction um, to Randy, and he read uh, cards to me. I yep. never wanted Angel to have cards. Yes, I never wanted to have my cards read because I was always afraid. And I didn't trust people, and I was like, I don't want you to tell me anything about my future <laughs> or anything about me. I don't want to invite you in my space. And so that was my first introduction to this gentleman. He was a lot younger, and um, so that was my first introduction to him, and he's never gone away since. So I, I might have you know, actively left, but always come back. Um, so I appreciate you always being there and always showing me that, that mm -hmm. unconditional love and support. Yeah. And, and yours, Both of you. your story is... is Dismal, filled with a lot of hope and now success, but maybe you could just back up and tell us a little. Yeah, so I have been struggling with addiction for a lot of years. Um, I did my first treatment center in 2009. Um, I did another treatment center in 2013, and then I kind of just kept graduating from treatment center to treatment center. And so there was something that I never did, and that was continuously practice recovery. And so I went to Odyssey 2018 for the first time, and then I went to Odyssey again 2019, and then ended up doing the homeless thing, um, eventually finding myself in drug court and finding myself in the CATS program. And you started treatment, how old were you in 2009? Um, I was 17. I had just, that was my graduating year of high school, was 2009. And you were an active heroin user then? Yes. Yes, at 17. I, yeah, I slowly graduated from, you know, smoking weed for the first time at 13. From age 13 to age 17 or 18, I had done, you know, Xanax, Oxys, um, ecstasy, mushrooms. I kind of just kept, you know, raising the bar on what was acceptable right. to me, um, eventually leading to smoking heroin and cocaine every day and being homeless in downtown Salt Lake. Not a, not a good place to be. No, not at all. And, you know, I'm 30 now. And so in 2009, I was, I looked extremely young and I stood out like a sore thumb down at the homeless shelter. Down, down on the block. Were the people, block. People yeah. trying to take advantage of you? Was it, was um, it tough? No, no one really tried to take. You're sort of, you've got a nice physique and you're a fighter too, yeah. right? So it's, I was a lot smaller back then um, and a lot more, um, you know, shaken up about stuff, but I always, thankfully carried um, uh, maybe a false sense of confidence, um, but I never really got messed with 
when I was down there. Wow. I think maybe people thought I was a cop, so they didn't want Ooh, to mess with me. He's an undercover narc. That's Let's stay true. Away. I've had that in jail before. I've had it when I was homeless, and so like that kind of has followed me around. So maybe that's why they never mess with me. Speaking of jail, you mentioned that you went through the CATS program. Yeah. Which is for those of you watching for the first time, it's our. It's our addiction treatment program <clears throat> in the Salt Lake County Jail. Mm -hmm. uh, and and you, what, what was your experience with it? I, so I went in kicking and screaming. You know, I, uh, I as, had... As a lot of people yes, do. Yes, very mm -hmm. natural. Um, you know, Judge Hogan, my drug court judge, sentenced me to do the CATS program. And so in the moment I broke down, I was extremely resentful, um, very, very upset. Um, mostly at myself. Um, so I, tr I went into, went into jail. I did the whole, um, month long isolation. Cause that's kind of what it was like. Cause it was in the middle of COVID. Um, then I got into the cats program and I've done a lot of treatment. And so I kind of had this expectation of what it was going to be like and what, how I had to act. And I'm very good at kind of talking my way through stuff. Um, Bullshitting people. Yes, yes. very much okay. so. Um, and so I, I got in, I was playing the part and Leanne, Tamara, Matt, mm -hmm. all these amazing people, um, showed up for me and, you know, they, t they told me where I stood in the program and got me to a point of being able to listen, got me to a point of being able to understand that it's an internal job. Um, it was a very, very good experience. And I, you know, I've done nine different treatment centers and I think personally cats was the best one that I've done. There wasn't any distractions in there. Distractions meaning women, distractions meaning cell phones, you know, cigarette breaks, the whole deal. You uh, you were in treatment. You're there. Yeah, you're in treatment, and then you go back to your bunk and day in and day out. And so I thought it was really, really good for me. And, and for people who don't understand it, it's... It, you actually you sign up for a program, and it's three months long, and you're in a pod... Uh, so you're not in general population. So yeah. you're in a pod with every with everybody else in that pod doing the treatment program, and you, you really don't have a lot else to do but that, right? Yeah, and it, what what was cool is you weren't locked in a two man cell like um, you are like in the general population areas. It was they were open. They were you know three foot tall pony walls is what they call them, um, and you got a little bit more freedom. You know you got to do more recovery related, recovery related activities. We did um, community building stuff where we would do the, take the whiteboard and we would draw a target on the whiteboard. And for the community portion of it, we would make like toilet paper darts and throw them at the board. <laughs> and you got to do like interactive games with everybody that was in the pod um, because that was kind of one of the things that was involved with the cats is, you know, you find community, you connect with people um, in a positive way rather than sitting in your cell and drinking coffee yeah i have a question for you so uh, a large thing it's ran by odyssey so a large thing in their residential or even outpatient one of the things that we do is this encounter process right and so being in jail um there's a there's a stigma behind it that says it's called snitching or yep. in jail how do you use the encounter process and how do you um remove that stigma that it's snitching in a jail setting. How do you? Yep. Or how are you able to remove that? Good question. In jail? Yeah. That's a really good question. Um, it's it is it's it's considered like a snitching thing. And someone that um, told me what the difference in snitching and holding someone accountable, Cheryl, 
um, which I've never forgot this, and I've used this concept. And so if, if I'm snitching on someone, it's because I'm going to get something in return for it. If I snitch on somebody, I'm going to get a shorter jail sentence. If I'm holding somebody accountable, it's because I see they're doing something that they are not totally conscious that they might be doing. And so really just bringing a space of love, giving them a space of being seen and wanting to work together. Um, I think the, I used to hate the encounter process, like most people yeah, do when they absolutely. come into the place. Um, but it really, it, it transitions into real world application very, very well. Mm -hmm. um, example is, you know, my mom's frustrating me. She's loving me too much. And so I get to then in turn say, mom, um, I feel a little bit overwhelmed that you're doing this. Um, can we maybe work on something else so I don't get overwhelmed? And it's just that showing my feelings, letting her know in a calm, productive way. And 98% of the time when I approach things like that with anybody, it turns out to be very beneficial for both of us. Yeah, because people don't. You're not you're not confronting somebody. You're yeah. just communicating with somebody. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if you, if, if, for instance, in your example, if you said, "Mom, stop loving me so much," okay, that she, you're going to yeah. elicit a negative reaction from her, and yeah. it's going to hurt her feelings. But if you do it the way you did, she can say, hmm, I, "That makes sense. I can do that." Yeah, and I, I think one thing that I do remember is I was doing encounters while I was, you know, in the cats program, and it, at first it was it was I was looked at little strangely. Like um, a cop? Yeah, like a cop. See, <laughs> look, at that, look at that um, cycle continuously right. playing. Um, but no, then I, I kind of continued to do it on very mild things. And then yeah. it turned out people, when the encounter was ran and they didn't get locked up for leaving their pencil mm -hmm. on the table, they were like, oh, you know, it's really not that big of a deal. Well, it's when you start learning a real relationship yeah. holds you accountable because someone truly cares about you yeah. and what you're doing. And so it's that leadership. I think, um, no, I know that when you start changing your life around, when you're doing the right things, then that's when people start looking at you. And oftentimes that can be a lonely road. Yeah, um, at first. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've got to bring I, this up because we have video, file video. We do. Uh, that we want to show people. <clears throat> I'm hoping we can find it and it'll be on top of this while we're Matt. while we're talking about it. We're talking about a device called mm -hmm. the Bridge, which came out several years ago, and it was uh, <clears throat> you hooked up. It was sort of like uh, electrified acupuncture, is sort of what it was. Mm -hmm. And you put, and it was a device that looked like a hearing aid in back, and then you had prongs coming out from that, sticking into various points in your ear, and it was supposed to help people uh, uh, withdraw from opioids. And the reason I bring this up is because Randy was our first test subject that allowed us to, to videotape the thing. And, and when you came in, you, you, were, you were really dope sick. You, were, you, looked, you yep. looked like hell. On every level. Yeah. yeah. And, and so describe uh, what you felt when this device was put on and, and what transpired. Yeah, so I was in the VOA um, and I had called my mom and I said, I am ready to leave. This is too much for me. The, the, yeah. the detox was too much. Um, she said, hold on one moment, Rachel's calling me. I'm like, okay, weird. Um, 
some God moments, yeah. a lot of them. Yeah. Um, so I put the phone down. My mom called me back and said, Rachel has an opportunity for you. Um, call her. So I called her and she said, so I have a, an opportunity. Um, we have something called the bridge device um, and it's a new thing. And, you know, she says she told me I trust your opinion um, and I want to see if you want to try it. You will get the bridge device put on today. Um, and you will immediately go into the Odyssey residential program. And I was in tears. I immediately was like, absolutely. Um, I jumped all over it. And I put my trust in her. I put my faith in her. And she came and got me, took me over to the Martindale Clinic. Um, I was a day and a half off of almost two grams of IV use of heroin. Um, so I was having a really rough time. And I was just at the beginning of it. Um, I remember going into the Martindale Clinic. I had my hoodie on. Um, I was hunched over, you were shaking, shivering, you were, yeah. um, the whole bit. And I remember going back into you know, the Martindale Clinic, and they clipped it on my ear. They kind of showed me what was going to happen. Um, and as soon as they plugged it in, um, I started getting those electrical taps every second. And it took about 15 minutes for my shoulders to relax, for, you know, my head to come up, um, took my hood off. And the, the difference of what I felt prior, um, was, was a whole 180. Um, the only, uh, you know, physical sensations that I was having were, I was having a little bit of body chills and then it was kind of hard to sleep for the next few days. But I went into Odyssey, um, with the bridge device on and a day and a half off of two grams of heroin and people didn't even know that I was detoxing. Um, it worked extremely well. Um, and I've kind of been wondering where it's went. We all have. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I Googled it and I, I couldn't find, there's all these videos at the time we were testing it because yep. a lot of treatment centers were testing it around the country and it worked like you said it did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There were some problems, like it, it, the prongs would come out and they had to be reattached. And uh, I guess it was tough to take a shower or something yeah. like that. Yeah, that was one thing I, I noticed too. But, a shower cap would <clears throat> and it yeah. and, and I can't remember what the cost of the device was. $700. Really? And and they and the and the maker of the device wanted to have it uh, uh, covered by Medicaid, right. which would have allowed tons of people to to use it and all of a sudden it disappeared and so it's like a great mystery because I videotaped a lot of people just like your experience mm -hmm. and, and it was it was so visual yeah I, because you see this just the way somebody looks when they're just sick and horrible yeah. and, yep. and then all of a sudden it's just like you feel this thing lifting and, and you look okay and yeah. and the first thing that everybody asks for when they <laughs> Food. Food. <laughs> yeah. Randy, I remember you saying you were in this big room there at Martindale, and you yep. said, do you have anything to eat? Which is not common for people who are dope sick asking for Absolutely. it, right? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, it was so. a really um, great experience, and I, I, I hope that it comes back, um, and I never will forget it. Um, it was very vivid, and it was very real, and um, life-changing experience for me. Uh, you know, I think all the uh, options that we can find, be it, you know, mat or something like the bridge or something that can ha that that will help people not be scared to come yeah. off of opioids. Yeah. Uh, okay. it, anything to help with the sickness, because when you are withdrawing, it feels like death and that will that will keep you using right. yeah. anything to help you not feel sick will keep you sick.
I have to I have to keep doing research on where the bridge went because it just it got national publicity and everything yeah. and then it just it just disappeared. Just just see if there's a patent and if there's not a patent there's your there's your calling right. That's well, the right next there. changing I, I, my <laughs> voice and then coming up with something yeah. like the bridge. Being, okay. being uh, uh, the opportunist I am the uh, CEO of the company, it's, it's, it was a company based in Indiana. He came through and I said, Are, uh, do you have any public offerings in, on the stock exchange? And he said, no, it's a privately held company. Because I, mm. I would have invested in that yeah. after seeing what it did. Right. Which maybe it's a good thing I couldn't invest because it's not. Right. Yeah. Where did it anymore. go? All right. Well, I, I, I hope you saw the video of the, what mm -hmm. we just described. And I'm sure you probably will. Let's let's spend our last ten minutes on your success story and what you're yeah. doing now and how that's how how recovery has made a huge difference in your life. I Absolutely. wanted to I wanted to ask you, like I wanted to point out a couple of things because as we were talking about the bridge, I was getting super emotional, and you brought up fighter. Like it's hard for me a little bit um, because I have the personal connection with Randy, and we talk about this. And Randy, um, I've gone down to the block several times with randy using and sometimes that has just been to give him cigarettes because he wasn't ready and for those of you watching out mm -hmm. of town the block oh, yeah. was a horrible area of town where all the homeless people all the drug dealers all the addicts everybody mm -hmm. congregated it was a free-for-all drug market uh yep. with, uh, yeah. infested with crime and everything else for a long for for years yeah so, yeah. so go ahead i'm yeah. sorry no no absolutely i mean uh randy's <laughs> been sick i took him to the doctor, got his meds, sent him back down there. I told him that I would be the father of his baby. I mean, we've had some very difficult conversations. And, um, like, it doesn't matter how many times you try. The, the fact that Randy continues to try, that's what matters to me. Randy will always be very important to me. But you you said he was a fighter, and fighter can mean so many different things, but Randy is really a fighter. Yes. One, he's the most courageous Actual man. Fighter that I know, but he also is actually a fighter. And it means more than just the physical part, but Randy, um, he gets knocked down and he gets back up, but he is, yep. uh, he fights MMA. And so if you wanna, what does fighter mean to you, Randy? And you continue to get back up and, and keep trying. So express, what does that mean? Tell me. Um, fighter to me transitions into warrior. Um, and I think for me, it's, it's stepping into the cage with um, a confidence that you are capable. It means stepping into fear without the fear holding you back. Um, I know that, you know, being a fighter, I, there's a lot of, not stigma, but there's like this, this mask that people already put onto me from being a fighter. Um, but I'm an extremely kind and gentle person. And I think using that fighter mentality of, showing up and being consistent, um, having integrity in what I'm going to do in my daily life, um, and then always getting back up no matter what. Um, I remember someone telling me, his name was Will, um, he said, the only time when you're on the mat and you don't want to get back up is because you don't want to. And that uh, has reigned true for me countless times. Um, and then I was told by, you know, Rob Eastman that mm -hmm. I don't stop when it hurts, I, you know, I stop when I'm done. Um, and once again, that's pushing through the pain, that's pushing through the fear. And now, you know, I had my last fight and I think my last fight really showed the growth of who I am as a person, spiritually, physically. Um, I, 
I went up to 170 and it was a really, it was a hard fight. It was a, the kid was really aggressive and I lost. And I remember after a couple hammer fists, um, I almost got knocked out. And I remember, you know, putting my hand up and doing this and you can see the, the smile on my face in the video. And I was just happy for somebody else to, to achieve something. Um, because a couple of years ago, I would have internalized that as I'm not good enough. Core mm -hmm. scripts would have played and down the rabbit hole I would have went. Um, but now I'm, I'm able to be happy for somebody else. And I think that is the transition from fighter to a warrior for me. So if, uh, we've got five minutes left. So talk about your, your family set yeah. up and your relationship now, how things have improved over, uh, yes. with recovery. They, they have improved, um, you know, beyond what I imagined they could have improved with. Um, I hadn't seen my son for almost three years and due to my addiction um, and just recently I got you know my parental rights back and so I've been able to have an experience that I thought that I was never going to have again um, and you know I've tried to overdose myself because I never thought this would happen for me um, and so being in a position to hold my son to smell my son to hear his voice um, has really you know gave me an internal and an external motivator to continue my recovery. Working at Fit to Recover is also another um, staple for, for where I'm at. I've got to interrupt again for yep. people who aren't from this area. Fit to Recover is Utah's uh, only really sober yeah. gym, right? Yeah. And, and you got everybody in recovery there working on their bodies and their minds. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's a great place. You can do, you know, service, you can do creative art stuff, you can do the physical aspect of things and then, then nutrition. It's just like an all-encompassing wellness right. place. Yeah. Um, so being able to work there um, is another extreme blessing because I remember when FTR first started with Ian, um, me and Rachel at the parks, doing boot camp at the park, yeah. um, and now being able to work there, it's 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 a blessing. Um, having my own family back in my life, um, building the trust back with them, um, being able to walk into their homes for holidays, um, being able to you know do gifts for the holidays, which for a long time I was never able to do. Sure. Showing up for myself, um, having good connections with Rachel, with you, Randall. Um, these are all things that kind of create a long-term recovery for me. How old's your son? He is four and a half. Um, he'll be five uh, February 22nd, which is the day before my birthday. And so wow. very happy about that also. Now, was he aware of your addiction? He he knows more than a four-year-old should know. <laughs> but at the same time, um, I'm open with him about anything that he's asked me. And I, I know that kids love unconditionally. So for him to hold a grudge against me or to be mad at me, um, I don't feel that at all from him. It was, he was a little standoffish the first five or 10 minutes when I kind of was reintroduced to him. Um, but you know, after the 10 minutes, he was let's play and it's been, he's been amazing ever since. So it's, it's been a really good experience and doing the paperwork to get him back was extremely difficult also. But once again, it's walking through those hard things um, and asking for help and support when you need it. Has he asked you yet? If not, he will. Daddy, why did you do this? Yeah, he has asked, he has asked me. And what's your answer? Um, well, he was like, why did you go to jail? And he's okay. like, so he asked me why I went to jail. And I said, well, I was kind of sick in my own mind and I was making bad choices. And he looks at me and he goes, Daddy, 
don't do bad choices ever again because <laughs> I love you. And I was yeah. like, that was Whoa. it. That was it. And so he's extremely smart. He knows a lot for his age. But at the same time, um, I've always known that being vulnerable and open with mm -hmm. my life is always the best option to grow and to move forward. And so I will do the same with him just as I would do the same with anybody else. So uh, he ought to work in a treatment center, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <It'd be> like, <laughs> What was the line he used again? He, he said, he said, why did you go to jail? And I said, because I'm I was sick in my mind and I was making bad choices. And he said, well, don't go to jail again and don't make bad choices because I love you. Simply it's stated. Simple. Maybe <laughs> from a child. That, 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 that's the goal of Odyssey House's treatment Bumper program. Sticker. Yeah. Right. yeah. How, how does uh, I, I, people who don't know about Fit to Recover, how, did, how mm. does, we, obviously, when people think of treatment programs, they say, "Okay, don't do drugs." It's like the simple yeah. like your yeah. son. Don't 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 make bad Beckett. choices. Don't do drugs. Yeah. What would Beckett do? <laughs> yeah. yeah. How does how does physical recovery relate to mm. the recovery from drugs? Um, that's a great question. So it's for me in my experience. Um, you know, we some people learn about mm. the window of tolerance and treatment, and mm. so when you get into treatment first, and when you get into real life, you know, we're only able to handle so much stress. And so for me, when I'm putting my body in a physical stressor, like exercise, it, you know, biologically will create that window of tolerance and make it larger. And so like when I go into the real world and stuff gets really hard, I already know internally that I can do hard things. So it's mm -hmm. easier for me to interact and to cope with the stressors in real life. Final thought uh, that maybe you can pass along to anybody watching who is dealing with somebody who they would like to see get in recovery, what would your thoughts be on, what would your advice be in terms of seeking recovery? In terms of seeking recovery, I think for me it was most important to one, I had to ask for help um, because most people don't really know everything that we're going through. So reaching out and asking for help is that first step. The second step is following through on your request. Um, and for me, a lot of the times I had to have people hold my hand, you know, maybe not literally, but figuratively into a detox or into a treatment center because it's, there's a lot of fear that goes with change. Yeah. Um, so just loving the person where they're at, um, holding their hand through the hard times and just being mindful um, of what your intentions are also because you can get wrapped up in helping too much or enabling. So really knowing where the person's at giving them the space, but also um, showing up for them, too. Which is what you've done with Randy. Mm -hmm. Very much. He was, he was always honest with me mm -hmm. well, and upfront now, with me. If we could create a million Rachels to deal with everybody who's, who's <laughs> fighting substance use right now, yeah. Yeah. we'll clone you next time, okay? I just want to change my voice to sound like you guys. <laughs> Your voice Get is that just fumble in there. <laughs> Thank you, Rachel. Thank you, Randy. Thank you for sharing. I, of course. And, yeah. You know, the reason we do this is hopefully to inspire, uh, to, to help people gain a greater understanding of the disease of addiction, and it is a disease, Yeah. Right. Uh, and how hard it is to fight, but that there is hope at the end. There yeah. very much is, a lot. And you're a prime example. Good luck on your next fight. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I would never step in the ring with yeah. Randy, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I know. You hey. do fine. He's an incredible man. Thank you for watching another edition of Odyssey House Journals.